to the Greg Steer Youth Ministry Podcast. I believe in the power of the gospel and the potential of teens. And I believe one of the best ways to get our teens to grow is to get them to go and share the good news. I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, rate it, review it, help us spread the word with other youth leaders. It's time for a revolution in youth ministry that will result in every teen everywhere hearing the gospel from a friend. I'm super excited about our guest today, Derwin Gray. Played for six years in the NFL for the Indianapolis Colts, Carolina Panthers. After retiring from the league, he felt a call to become a pastor. He launched Transformation Church um, in South Carolina, and he toured with Dare to Share for uh, two years uh, back in the 2000s and just became one of my dear, dear friends. Many in the youth ministry circles know him as the evangelism linebacker, uh, that classic video that I watched less than a few weeks ago, and it's still funny. It's one of those rare, truly funny Christian videos, and uh, Derwin is the author of several books, um, including his recently released Building a Multi-Ethnic Church, A Gospel of Vision of Love, Grace, and Reconciliation in a Divided World. Derwin, man, you're just a, a great friend. We talk, I'd say, at least monthly and just catch up, pray for each other, and those two years uh, traveling with Dare to Share, that was crazy, crazy times. I remember... You were a young pastor. Somebody told me about you. I listened to one of your sermons, and I'm like, this is a guy that right now is under the radar. But I, I from that moment on, I believed uh, you were one of the most powerful preachers in America, and I still believe that to this day. Man, I, I appreciate your faithfulness to the gospel and your passion for the word. So those who don't know your story, I mean, you had a pretty a radical conversion story about you know, in the locker room. Just tell us a little bit about that. No matter how much I achieved, I still couldn't get over self-insecurity. Never thought I was mm. good enough. Couldn't get over a lack of being able to forgive my dad who was not a part of my life. Couldn't forgive myself for things that I had did. Could not love my wife the way she deserved to be loved. So on August 2nd, 1997, I eventually came to faith in a small dorm room all by myself. But it was through a teammate of mine. His name is Steve Grant. And this is why personal evangelism is so important. For five years, he would take a shower after practice, dry off, wrap a towel around his waist and get his Bible. And then ask my teammates, do you know Jesus? And in my mind, I'm going, bro, do you know you're half naked? And so the veterans on the team were like, don't pay no attention to him. That's the naked preacher. So Steve Grant would preach half naked with his Bible asking guys, do they know Jesus? And over the process of five years of, of watching him live it out, watching how my teammates would go to him for advice, and as we built a relationship, and as the foundations, the sand that I built my life on were collapsing, um, on August 2nd, 1997, my fifth year in NFL, we're training camp, Anderson University, Anderson, Indiana, in a small dorm room, I called my wife and I said, I want to be more committed to you. And then I said, I want to be more committed to Jesus. And that's when I was born again. Like I literally felt the divine love of God. I, mm. I felt that I was new, that God loved me. And the reality of grace uh, from that day forward has just been growing more and more and more of how could God love me? I was so undeserving. That's what grace does is grace brings you to your knees and you go, God, how can you love me? And as you get to know him, you know that that's what he does. He specializes in loving those who feel unlovable. Man, you know, I love that Derwin. And, 
And every time I hear you preach, the freshness of that relationship with Christ and the, you know, you being in awe at the grace of God and what Jesus did on the cross and the empty tomb, it just comes across in your passion, in your authenticity. And boy, I hope we never get over what Jesus did for us. Amen. Amen. You, you know, and, 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 and I think Greg, you know, as, as we're talking about mobilizing teenagers to share their faith, right? It's, it's one of these things that sometimes what we do is we get so bogged down in the externals that we forget about the greatest thing, the internal, eternal reality that um, God the Father doesn't want us to be his children because he's like some cranky old man going, grab the remote control for me and change the channel, <laughs> you know? No, God wants children to first and foremost love. It doesn't say for God so wanted kids to do a lot of stuff he gave his son. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that ever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And everlasting life is about being in God's presence, that his presence is a gift that is presently available to do what? To love us, to grace us, to strengthen us. And what happens is, is we fall so in love with Jesus we can't help but want to communicate to others the one that we love. And what happens is, yeah, we, we all have fear. Uh, we all have insecurities about sharing our faith. But love pushes those walls down mm. because we recognize, listen, if I'm rejected, I'm loved by Christ. If I'm ignored, I'm loved by Christ. But here's the deal. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, that God has left us here to be his mouthpiece, to display his grace to a world that is in desperate need of that love. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I always tell teenagers, you fall in love with evangelism, you'll fizzle out. You fall in love with Jesus and you will always evangelize. Yeah. Because you just can't help but talk about him. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's, that's what it comes down to is, is God literally is relationship from eternity to father, son, and spirit have been in relationship. And so for me, when I came to faith and even now it, it, it is a, it is a beautiful reality, a beautiful mystery that the greatest of the great wants to know me and for me to know him. And the more I know him, the more I get to know myself and the more I get to know myself, the more I'm in awe of God's grace, but the more I'm changed. And it becomes like this, like if you have the cure for COVID, right? You wouldn't keep it to yourself. You, you, you'd shout it from the rooftops. You'd, you, would, you would give it away. And, and here's the thing is within the blood of people who have, who've had COVID is antibodies. Well, Jesus has the blood with the ultimate antibody. It's mm. called grace. And that grace defeated sin, death, and evil to not only forgive our sins, but give us a family of brothers and sisters with different colored skins. And this family is to take the gospel to the world. You know, a couple of things. One is you have really helped me uh, in, in the area of what it looks like to build a a multi-ethnic philosophy of ministry. Uh, you wrote this book, um, Building a Multi-Ethnic Church. 
Uh, I love this, a gospel vision of love, grace, and reconciliation in a divided world. And man, we, I mean, we have a divided world. It's obvious to anybody who's, who's watches new, the news at all. Uh, we live in a divided world. The church is the key to really kind of showing that light of what it looks like to be a united church in a divided world, a multi-ethnic church. Youth leaders listening to this right now, kind of give them just a yeah. short crash course on what is the thesis behind this book and why is it central to the gospel message? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so I want you to picture this. I, I, I want you to go back with me 2000 years ago and there's this wild man named Paul and he has been ravaging the church, but then you hear that he met Jesus and he went to this dude's house named Ananias and scales fell off of his eyes. And all of a sudden he's going into the synagogues talking about King Jesus and what he came to do. And then you hear this crazy story that this guy, Paul, a hardline Jewish nationalist who thought that Gentiles were unclean, impure, is all of a sudden telling people this, that Christ is our peace and that he's broken down the dividing walls and that through the cross he's taken Jews and Gentiles and made them into a new person a new humanity to reconcile both groups so here's a question why does Galatians 3 8 says this the good news was preached beforehand to Abraham in this, all of the nations will be blessed. The good news is that the Messiah came and through his life, his death, his resurrection, all those who trust him are not only forgiven, not only are they declared righteous, but they become a part of a family that's made up of all the ethnicities on the face of the earth. And this family, different colors, different cultures become a beautiful mosaic that shows the world what Jesus looks like. Think about this, Greg. On the cross, the body of Jesus is where sin goes to die. But in the resurrection is where every Christian goes to live in the body of Christ. Mm. And so to be racially indifferent, to be prejudiced, to be ethnocentric is to be racially indifferent and prejudiced towards yourself because we are the body of Christ. Individual salvation only exists so God can have the family he promised Abraham. That's why Galatians 3.8 says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, male nor female, for we're all one in Christ. And all those who belong to Christ are Abraham's seed. Mm. Jesus is the covenant keeper, the promise maker. And so not only do we get forgiveness of sins, but we enter into this beautiful family of brothers and sisters, different cultures, different backgrounds. And what's beautiful is God doesn't want us to be color blind. He wants us to be color blessed. My color, my culture has a story. Your color, your culture has a story. And Jesus redeems us not to obliterate our distinctions, but to celebrate them because in our differences, we become better. That's why the early church was Jews and Gentiles. 
because if we're stuck in echo chambers of sameness, we don't grow. But think about how you and I, over the last, what, oh my gosh, what, 10, 12 years, maybe longer, how you and I have stretched each other. And it wasn't yeah. our commonalities that stretched each other. It yeah. was our differences in the gospel. And so the good news is, man, not only do you get a savior, but I get a brother named Greg Steer. Yeah, man. It's so good, Darwin. And that, that, that has really helped me develop a, a broader theology of the gospel. And now oftentimes when I'm given the invitation at an event, I'm like, you're, you know, you're, you're saved. Not just, you don't, you don't just have a new dad, a uh, heavenly father, but you have a new family to grow with. How, let me, let me kind of segue to local churches and youth groups. Okay. Yeah. That theology is, I think, impossible to argue with if you take Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, you know, and Acts, and the Bible, uh, <laughs> the literally, whole Bible. the whole Bible. Um, how does that translate? Yeah. How, how should it translate? Maybe how hasn't it translated yeah. in a typical church and youth group today? Yeah, so, so, so the first thing that I want to do is typically right now, youth leaders or pastors will feel beat up. Don't. Remember, the Apostle Paul wrote all of his letters to churches that were not getting it right. Mm. Think about this. In Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius's house, the Italian, and he says, hey, at one point, I wouldn't even go in a Gentile's house, but now I know God is for everybody and multi-ethnic. But then not too much later, Peter's in Antioch, and in Galatians chapter 2, at the multi-ethnic church in Antioch, the party of James comes, the Hebraic Jews come, and Peter gets up from the table eating with Gentiles because he knew the Jerusalem Jews didn't think the Gentiles were Jewish enough to really be on their level. And so Peter got up, so did Barnabas and the rest of the Jews. And Paul says in Galatians 2.14, you're walking out a step with the gospel. So if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to us. What happened to Peter? Number one, Peter was afraid of criticism and what it would cost him. Uh, Greg, there are so many particularly white pastors that I know that if they even mention racism in a sermon more than two times in a year, the emails and letters start to come. I've had pastor friends after George Floyd preach a three-week sermon on racism and racial injustice and elders threatening to leave and people threatening to leave and telling them, are you woke? What is this stuff? And so number one, what's happened is we have allowed political idolatry to separate us. We have allowed ethnocentrism to separate us as well. Let me give you an example. I'm in a coffee shop the other day. I'm working on a book and an older white man asked me what I'm doing. I'm telling him, hey, I'm working on a book. He goes, what it's about? I said, well, it's about how to heal the racial divide. He goes, is there a racial divide? Mm -hmm. And I lovingly said, well, do you have any black friends? And he was like, well, no, but I don't see color. And I said, well, why not? Because God didn't make a mistake making all these colors and cultures. And as we got the talk, he, he said, well, I'm a part of the Presbyterian Church of America. And you know, our church just doesn't have a lot of black people. What's the problem? I said, well, when was the last time you as a white man thought about going to an all black church? 
And he was like, I never have. And I said, well, that's an example of cultural prioritization that you expect people of color to come to your church, but you wouldn't go to their church to integrate. So what we've done, uh, Greg, is we have allowed a racialized culture to influence us more than Christ mm. and his kingdom culture. It takes guts to do this, bro. And you know, like, you know how we started and how difficult it was. And I yeah. mean, God has blessed us immensely. It's, it's crazy, but I've got the scars to prove that this is hard, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's so much easier. So that's one. And then number two is we've made the gospel very individualized as we say things like this. Well, Jesus died for my sins. I'm saved. I get to go to heaven when I die. Well, that's partly true. But it's not just you're saved, you're now a part of the saved. It's not that you're just redeemed, now you're a part of the company of mm -hmm. redeemed. It's not that you just become God's child, you now have relationship with all of God's children, and we must have preeminence to the lamb, not the donkey, and not the elephant. In typical <laughs> youth groups, if there's diversity, Teenagers and Gen Z do so much of a better job yeah. with diversity than the other generations. Now, here's the problem, though. Students of color, after a while, when as they get older, they're not going to be comfortable integrating into churches that have white leadership and that don't address their issues. What's going to happen then is these kids are going to start to swing radical left, like BLM or radical right, like Boogaloo Boys or whatever. It's important for us to, to let them know that, no, Jesus cares about justice, that justice is intrinsic to God's nature, mm -hmm. that the messianic mandate in Luke 4, 16 through 18, Jesus says, I came to preach the good news to the poor, to the blind, to the captive. And all of these beautiful realities that he not only saves souls, but he affects the whole of yeah. the man. And so I think it's important for youth pastors, as well as pastors, to understand the bigness mm. of the gospel. That if Jesus only died to forgive my sins, oh man, there's so much more for us. And by the way, as much stuff as I did, man, I'm sure thankful that my sins were yeah. buried in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. But I'm also thankful that this gospel moves me now into the world to join Jesus with his thrust of justice, with his thrust of saying racism is a sin, with his thrust of saying, hey, man, uh, uh, um, police brutality is an issue. And man, I pastor a lot of great policemen and mm. police women. I love them. Our church has won awards from the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department for our help. Mm. Police reform and being pro-police can simultaneously take place. Yeah. You know, it's we have a the one of the speakers we have at Dare to Share, his name's Gerard Gunter. And he's a youth leader in inner city Memphis. And he's done a phenomenal job of uniting the churches together uh, for the gospel. They do prayer protests. They walk throughout the city of Memphis and they have prayer points. Um, he, he obviously, he's African-American, he supports the sentiment, Black Lives Matter, not, not the organization, but he is building relationships with the police officers. 
He's mm-hmm. introducing the kids with the uh, to the his teens and his youth group to uh, police officers to their you know mayor and they're they're building bridges, not burning them, and really keeping the gospel at the centerpiece of yes. all that. And I think you have done a phenomenal job doing that as a pastor. What would what advice? I know we just have a few minutes left, but what advice would you give? to a youth leader is like, man, how do I get started yeah. in building a multi-ethnic youth ministry right where I'm at? Yeah. You know, um, Rick Warren, a friend and mentor said this, uh, the most important preparation for ministry is the pre-preparation, right? Hmm. So what I would say is, um, you know, order my book, read it, digest it, then yep. get four or five of your other pastor friends read it and coach them through it. Yep. Now, as you're reading it, what you're going to do is you're going to get the why. I give you some how, but the why is more important than the how. And here's why. The why is unchanging. That's the gospel. Yeah. But the how is going to change according to your context. And so what I would say is read it, study it, read it with other youth pastors, study it. And then some of your uh, more mature youth leaders, get them involved too. Mm. get it to your senior pastor as well, because this is going to take all of us. And some of you may be saying, well, you know, I'm in quote unquote, Nebraska, there's or Iowa, there's no black folks here. Well, guess what? If you go on a missions trip to people of color, Um, but don't feel a sense of, well, we're just going there to serve them. That's paternalism. Those people don't need paternalism. They need brothers and sisters of mutuality and encouragement. And so you can still build relationships um, across ethnic lines, whether if it's geographical or international or around the country. Like my white friends in the state of Montana, I'm like, hey, you got Native American reservations all yeah. over here, and there's a lot of bridges that need to be rebuilt. Yeah, it, it's not just a, a black and white. I mean, there's there's Latino, there's Native Americans, there's Asian. I mean, we we have to bring the body of Christ together. Youth leaders, I encourage you right now, go to Amazon.com, building a multi-ethnic church, Dr. Derwin L. Gray, get the book, read it, digest it. Um, any other like ways that youth leaders yeah. can connect with you? Yeah, uh, yeah, t- total. Just go to derwinlgray.com, derwinlgray.com, and you'll get our church website at Transformation Church. You'll get all my books. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, and that's at derwinlgray, at derwinlgray. And uh, so, so you know, learn the theology, learn the practices. But your youth leadership team has to be diverse. Mm. Um, Also having a diversity of speakers, male, female, various ethnicities. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when you tell another human being, when you hurt, I hurt. I'm your advocate. I'm for you. And that's what Jesus did. That's what the incarnation is. So think about this. Jesus, a Jew, goes to the city, goes to to Samaria to meet a Samaritan woman. Like this is the ultimate text. 
uh, in that culture, you had misogyny, you had sexism, you had racism. But yet Jesus goes to a place that's hostile. By the time of Christ, there was a 700-year ethnic feud between Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus says, can I have a drink of water? A Jew would have never done that, let alone to Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. Eventually, as the Messiah, he knows everything about her, and she believes in him. She went there for water, but she left her water pot at the water pot at the well because she met the living water. And what did she do? She didn't have an evangelism class 101. She didn't have a how to tell your faith class. It was the overwhelming passion of being loved and accepted by the yeah. Messiah that she ran into the city of Sakar, where she was from, and the whole and a bunch of people got saved. They believed because of what she said, and then they saw it with their own eyes. But here's one last thing that I want to leave you with. What is the Samaritan woman? Samaritans were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. What is the church? She is called the bride of Christ, and a bride is a woman. So within the Samaritan woman, you have a mm. picture of what the church is supposed to be that's jews so and gentiles in the body of man. christ Tarwin, that's so good so good man i know you got a role thank you for your friendship thank you for commitment to the gospel would you mind just giving a quick prayer a blessing to the youth absolutely leaders? yes yes uh father would you open our hearts to the grace of jesus mm. lord jesus would you expand our minds to the bigness of your gospel and Holy Spirit, would you give our hands courage to build bridges and tear down walls, mm. proclaim the lost, proclaim the gospel to the lost and build this unified, multicolored, multicultural, multi-ethnic family, mm. the family of the redeemed in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Love you, Thanks. homie. Love you, man. Thanks Peace. so much. And, uh, now we got Matt, Matt Daniels, who's going to be with us, uh, kind of, uh, hey, Matt, uh, this is called Ask a Youth Leader because I've not been a youth leader for 30 years and uh, do a dare to share, We're working with youth leaders and teenagers, but we wanted to actually ask a youth leader kind of what they thought of what Derwin had to say. Matt, just so you guys know, associate student pastor at Storyline Fellowship, which is in Arvada, Colorado, which is where I live and where Dare to Share is at. Uh, and he's co-leading the Gospel Advancing Youth Ministry at Storyline. They have a bold vision of reaching the 8,500 middle school and high school students in their community of Arvada. And I love that. And they're part of the Go Share Day movement, which is really, really exciting. So uh, you're in the church plant and pipeline with the North American uh, Missionary uh, Board. And you have a huge heart to reach all people with the gospel. So you just had to love what Derwin just had to say. That was great, man. I mean, I, I think we need more chats like that, especially in our churches. I mean, I think it's a, a topic, you know, that a lot of people know that we need. We know that we need to be talking about in churches, but a lot of times churches aren't addressing it for the fear of not saying the right thing or <clears throat> not getting it together. So I love that he just came out with a book. I'm definitely going to get that. But yeah, it was great. It was all around. I think just the 
the way that he broke down the gospel and even that story. I never thought of the the Jew and the Samaritan. I think that's Oh no, that was so good. I'm gonna preach that. <laughs> Same. That was really good. You know, uh, and we we live in the same city, right? And Arvada is, it's kind of a, a pasty white city for the most part. It really is. So it makes you think, you know, I, I was really glad that he shared, hey, you got to get that why first and then figure out the how with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, how do we build those bridges? How do we reach out uh, to people of color, of every color in our own community? How do we find them? How do we how do we build our youth ministries that way and our churches that way? Were you thinking about that uh, while he was talking a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think about that a lot because, you know, I grew up, I grew up in a very diverse area, you know, and then being in West Arvada, you know, I think it's probably like 98% white um, and thinking through how to, how do you, you know, paint a picture of the gospel that is inclusive and that represents all races, cultures, diversity, in a context, you know, and I think he, I love that he talked about is like, even if you are in a Nebraska or you're in an Arvada, you know, what does that actually look like? And I think number one, like he said, is, is really painting that picture and, and painting the why and mm-hmm. what we believe, because I, I, I'm sure you see this Gen Z, they are all about finding purpose, finding belonging and, and being inclusive. It's a very inclusive generation. So yeah. getting in and helping them to see through the lens of the gospel, because I think there's a great fire there for diversity. So even if it's not in our context, wherever they're going to school, where they're going to eat lunch, where all of these places, even if necessarily their neighborhood is not diverse, they're encountering diversity on a, on a pretty often basis. And so even with, you know, us being here in Arvada, we go to, we go to Denver because I'm like, man, we need to, you know, we partner with the dream center, which is a local organization and they're in Denver and they're in a lot of lower income neighbors, neighborhoods that are diverse. And so even painting the picture, but then giving them opportunities to encounter people that look different than them, that don't take, don't eat the same things, don't smell the same way, but what, how do, how do you incorporate that gospel picture into it? So I love that you talked about that. Cause I think it's key that we give them truth because, you know, I think when the truth is apart from that justice, it can, it can lead into, you know, very strong left or right. But when you, when you partner that with the gospel and then give them opportunities, whether, and you might have to get out of your neighborhood, you might have to go partner with some organizations, but creating opportunities, I think is huge. And then dissecting with it, with the, with the youth, with the team, of what that actually looks like. You know, it's interesting. The church that reached my whole family for Christ was in West Arvada and they reached, I was raised in North Denver, which is a very uh, largely Latino uh, part of the city at the time. And they reached into the city and literally would bus uh, us as teenagers from inner city Denver to West Arvada for youth group. And we had 800 teenagers in our youth group and probably more diversity in our youth group than any other youth group I'd ever seen because they reached out to the city and brought us in. And I love the fact that you get out of Arvada into the city. We did that with Go Share Day, took my daughter and a group of her friends down to, you know, 22nd and Larimer. And it was so great. They had gifts to give and then, you know, praying for people. But as soon as they got out of that car, they're able to minister uh, to, all, to all sorts of people and share the gospel with them and pray for them. And I think it's good exposure. It's a mission strip in our own backyard, but also at school, you know, I mean, to look uh, for people who don't look like you, 
to right. sit at a different cafeteria table. And maybe it's not even a, a, a racial uh, difference. Maybe it's, you know, just a kid that you normally wouldn't hang out with. You know, there's always a student sitting by themselves and uh, to, to teach these students to reach out and break those, break those barriers. That's the essence of the gospel to right. do that. Yeah, and I think he hit on a key part, you know, and I and I, I have some some good African American friends. I process this a lot with, you know. He says, you know, it's it's not often, predominantly in white culture, we expect people to just come to us. It's like, okay, you adjust to our culture, you adjust to the way that we do things. This is how we do it. But it's not common for somebody to say, you know what? Let me step out of my culture. Let me go to an all black church, or let me go to a neighborhood that doesn't look like my suburb. Whatever it is, and it, it we. And that's where I think the gospel begins to frame and change the way we think is like, they don't have to come to us. We can, we can go to other places. We can put ourselves in environments. We can put ourselves in cultures that don't look like it. Like, I, and I think that's so key, especially if you live in a predominantly white culture. And I know families that even just move because they're like, we want to, we want our kids to be exposed to different cultures, you know, outside of it. But I do think that there are ways as a youth group that you can expose them and teach them like, Hey, we're, we want people to come to our church, of course. And if we have to bring them here, great, but we can also go to there. We can try to learn another culture. We can try to learn different ways people think for the glory of God. And so I love that he hit on that too. Cause I think that's, I think it's critical, not just for, not even just for youth, but for us as individuals of getting outside of our comfort zone. And I mean, I think obviously the great missionary Jesus out of the, you know, out of heaven to come down with us. And I think just an example of, of getting outside of our culture and acclimating and trying to learn is just key. Like you said, even if it's just a, a kid that looks different, that doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily jive with the normal people, whatever it may be. I think there's so many opportunities that we can train our students to think of of engaging with people that look different than them, that think differently than even different cultures. You know, there was a, when I uh, co-planted Grace Church on 69th and Sheridan with my lifelong friend, Rick Long, um, there was a whole philosophy of church planning that was kind of find that stereotypical yeah. couple uh, and find more of them and bring them into your church. And we just outright rejected that philosophy. Our mm -hmm. philosophy was, let's take a compass, you know, with a, a pen on the end, put the, put the pin in the center of where our church is going to be and do three mile circle around our church. And whatever that demographic is, we want to bring them in. And to this day, if you go to Grace Church on 69th and Sheridan, you see the percentage breakup of that, the demographic of that church, it, it literally it's probably within a few percentage points, exactly what that demographic is within three miles of that church, because we're, we're called to reach everyone with, mm -hmm. with the gospel. And I think if we did that same thing in our youth ministries, we yeah. did that same thing. And, and, and for those areas where you do that and it's all white or all black or all Brown or whatever to get out, you know, acts one, eight, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So we call it across the street, across the tracks, across the world. And yeah. I'm so glad for the pastor that reached across the tracks into my neighborhood growing up, yeah. reached my whole family for Christ. And so I think it's just a really good reminder from Derwin. And don't you just love how centered on the gospel so Derwin sad. is? Yeah. You know, so good. So good. Yeah. There's really no, uh, it makes me think, I remember I used to do this college group and uh, in, in when I lived in California and 
it, it's a little different, but we, we were going to do a home, like part of one week of our, our small group once a month, we were going to go do outreach to the homeless. And when I first told them like, Hey, we're going to the homeless. A lot of these, you know, guys are like, what, like, what are we going to do? I'm like, we're just going to make sandwiches. We're going to go hand them sandwiches, talk to them, love on them, pray for them. And uh, the first time doing it, a lot of these guys, you know, a lot of them college age had moved to California for college. And first time they really had got out of their comfort zone to kind of learn. And what was crazy was the response after all these guys crying, te- like, man, I can't believe yeah. I had this wrong mindset. Like I thought all of this homeless, this X, Y, Z. And what I'm saying that to say is like, creating opportunities like i was saying and getting out of that it not only with christ as the center in the gospel it breaks down those those barriers and those stereotypes yeah. and all of those things that are built up over the years um and and so it, it you never know and and god may have, may call you to that that might be the people you end up reaching the people that were out of your comfort zone that weren't in your normal routine and so like yeah i just think the gospel and like he like that story and just how he was so centered on the gospel is just it's the heart of Christ. And I think Amen. as believers, as youth ministers, as youth leaders, if we embody that first, like he said, as a leadership team, but we position our students to be in places like that, man, I think that's where diversity happens and where people are outside of that. And, and they're exposed to things. They don't have to go to the world to try to fight for justice or purpose that the local church, the local yeah. student ministry is the hope of the world that people see, dang, because of the gospel, man, that homeless person or that black, that white, per, whatever it is, that poor person, that rich, what, how are they in the same room? How are they? Ha- yeah. And that's the power of the gospel. And I think, like you said, I love that he was making that so central. When you see, when you see in Luke 19, when, when Jesus reaches Zacchaeus mm. and it goes over to his house and they're celebrating and Zacchaeus stands up and makes a proclamation. Look now, Lord, here and now, if I've committed any injustice, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, pay it back four times. I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. And you look at that. He just received salvation, right? The Lord, Jesus said, the son of man has come to seek and save the lost people just like Zacchaeus. First thing he does, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. Mm-hmm. And if I've committed any, any injustice, I'm going to pay it back four times. Uh-huh. So the real core of, you know, correcting injustice and helping the poor, man, the epicenter should be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Changes our heart, changes our lives, changes our perspectives. And we got to get that to trickle down to our teens. And I agree with you, Matt. I don't think there's any better way than taking kids out. I was a youth leader at center point church here in Arvada, um, which, uh, which used to be called community Baptist church. And we did a Sunday night outreach to inner city Denver. And the only ones that showed up was a van full of middle school, pasty white middle school girls from Arvada. And so we had blankets and we had, uh, you know, coats and we had, uh, food and we couldn't find anybody. We're driving like, it felt illegal. We're driving under bridges, looking for somebody to, to bless. <laughs> Couldn't find anybody. Everybody's getting frustrated. And finally, all these girls go, there's one. And there was a homeless guy laying on a grate trying to keep warm. And before I could stop him, all these girls just got out of the car, surrounded this dude. And he woke up and stood up and looked. And there was all these middle school girls surrounding him. He thought, man, I'm going to get mugged by a bunch of middle school white girls from Arvada, right? <laughs> and one girl comes up to him, gives him all the blankets, all of them, not just one, all of them. 
Other girl gives him all the coats and the other girl piles all the food on top of him. And he's holding all this stuff. I'll never forget it because I'm outside the circle. And he goes, why are you doing this? And I'll never forget one middle school girl said, because we love Jesus and we love you. And she started crying and just went at him. And all the girls collapsed on this guy, hugged him, and he stood there and wept because it was probably the first time he felt a hug from people in years. But it was really the love of Christ to those girls. That guy was changed, but those girls were forever changed by that encounter. And I think we need to give our, our students those kinds of encounters. So, man, thank you so much for, for being a part of this. Thank you so much for you, your work at Storyline, your vision uh, to impact teens and plant churches and build multi-ethnic gospel advancing disciple multiplying ministries that change lives. And I know that someday when you're a pastor, you'll still be a youth pastor, but you're going to have authority and a budget as a lead pastor, keep <laughs> reaching the next generation. So thanks so much Appreciate for being a you. part thanks of it. Thanks so much. That was a joy and a blessing for sure. And for everyone else listening, thanks for tuning in. Again, subscribe, uh, review, uh, get the word out, and remember that a thriving youth ministry is a gospel-advancing youth ministry. Thanks for tuning in.